Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Hub24 is on a mission to empower advisors to deliver better financial futures for their clients. They're dedicated to customer service excellence and delivering innovative product solutions that create value for advisors and their clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors rate them number one for overall satisfaction and why their managed portfolio solution has been rated best in market five years running. Hub24 believes nothing happens in isolation. So they're working together with advisors, licensees, and industry leaders to leverage their data and technology expertise to help solve key challenges in the delivery of financial advice so more Australians can access cost-effective advice. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I am joined by Whitley Bijar. Welcome. Thank you. Hey. How did I go with the pronunciation? Good. Yeah, good. I managed it all right? <laughs> yep. I'm pretty good at mucking that up, so yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty pretty happy with myself. Um, tell me about you. Tell us about what you're doing at the moment. Cool. So I'm what we call a practical ac- academic. Yes, um, we do actually exist. So that means that I'm a practicing advisor and mortgage broker, as well as an academic at uh, Griffith University. So I've been doing that for about five years, uh, now balancing the, both of the roles, but I've been an advisor for the last nine years. Wow, that's incredible. So uh, the practicing academic, yes, they exist, because uh, <laughs> we do like to put uh, dish, dish a little bit onto academics, don't we? Just yes. say, well, you know, you, you, how would you know yeah. what happens in the real world? Yeah. Uh, so you're the, you're the one. I mean, I'm, well, I'm sure. <laughs> Sure, there's plenty. Uh, actually, there's actually only a few of us <laughs> in Australia, yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty happy about it. So. Yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, tell us about uh, your journey. Let's let's go back uh, in time. Uh, how did you decide to that you wanted to get into financial advice and in the financial services area? Yeah. I guess I never wanted to. To be honest, I just sort of yep. fell into it. I feel like a lot of people do fall into it. Well, at least they did back back when I first started because we didn't have the opportunity to go to university and study financial advice. So for me, I actually grew up watching my dad be an advisor. So he's been an advisor for the last 40 years. Um, He's always worked from home. I had absolutely no idea what he did for a living. (laughs) And for some reason, I thought he was an accountant. And I think in my last year of my undergraduate university degree in Tasmania, I was on the hunt for a new job and he had just purchased at another company. So he was looking for an admin person. And I said, okay, no worries. I'll do that in my last year. That'll that'll bide me over while I finish my degree. Um, and then I realized pretty quickly after working in that admin role that I really liked financial advice and I really wanted to pursue that as a career. So I went out and did my RG146. <laughs> um, nice and easy. And yeah, it was nice and easy. And, um, basically within 12 months, got my accreditation or my AR and yeah, I've just been loving it ever since. Isn't it funny how a lot of people don't know what you do? Yeah. Uh, even even in your own family. And, yeah. And like you said, your dad was a, an advisor for many years and you're like, I'm, I don't actually know what he does. I think uh, I think when I was an advisor, my kids didn't know what I did. Yeah. And uh, now that I do podcasting, nobody knows yeah. in my family what I do. So it's even, it's even better. 
so moving into that as an, in an admin role, uh, tell us about that. We like that starting. Were you, um, you know, I'm assuming it was paper files back then. It, was, it was paper files. Yeah. Yes. So we had. Oh goodness, I don't know if people are still using Coin, but um, we our practice used Coin, and the two of the firms that we had purchased were using very, very old school paper files. Um, my dad actually was pretty progressive at that point because he had most things on coin electronically, which I thought was great. Yep. Um, so I guess my job at the beginning was basically to, to move all of those hard copy files into digital files, which was great. Yep. Um, I'm being sarcastic, but <laughs> it, was, it was a good learning curve. It was a good learning curve. And it sort of told me like, this is what not to do. Like, you know, this is – because all, all the files that we use at the moment for our practice now are digital, which is great. Um, and I work remotely. So my practice is actually based in Tasmania and um, I'm obviously in, in the Gold Coast. So I've been remote for the last five years and it's just been so easy um, to have everything electronic, which has been yeah. Yeah, such a joy. Incredible. So you, you started through that. Uh, tell me about the moment then you became an advisor or an AR. Yeah. Um, I still didn't really know if that's what I wanted to do at that point, to be honest, because Again, I was so new to it and, you know, doing the diploma, I think at that point as well, um, was quite difficult for me because I'd never done anything like that before. And I just remember thinking, gosh, there's so much paperwork involved. Do I actually want to be doing this for a career? But it was when I started sitting in with clients and actually helping people meet their goals and seeing real change that's when I realized that that's actually what I what I want to do. It's, it's not so much the paperwork. The paperwork is just part and parcel of the job, but it's the actual helping people that gets me excited. And yeah, yeah that's sort of why I really did pursue this as a career. Yeah, and you started by sitting in on meetings with your dad? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what did that teach you? Uh, it, there was a lot involved because um, <laughs> um, it wasn't just him. It was There were two other advisors in the firm. Well, there are two, two other advisors in the firm and, yeah, I was sort of shadowing all of them to see what they did and what they did differently as well, which I thought was quite interesting. And then I sort of picked up my own style of of taking interviews and the way in which I deal with clients, which if I'm being honest, it's actually a more casual approach. I feel like a lot of the practices up here in particular um, are, are very different to the way that our practice runs in Tasmania. But, you know, we are in a small regional town, so we do have a more casual approach to dealing with things. Obviously, it's still professional advice, but, um, yeah, the way in which we, we deal with client meetings is probably a little bit more on the casual side. And yep. at that point, I was still doing visits to people's homes as well, yep. which I don't do so much anymore because I can use Zoom or Teams. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Home, home visits these days are online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us about your progression through that practice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as again, started off in sort of admin CSO type role, Um and I was doing that for about two years or well, yeah, two years while I was doing my study and everything like that. And then when I got my AR and after I'd done the shadowing process, so that probably was about six, six to 12 months of training. So that was before the professional year, yeah. I guess, but we, we still did it, but we just yeah. wasn't, it just wasn't registered like that. And then I was sort of out of my own. And, and part of that at the time was we had a commission structure. I was obviously on salary, but we got a commission bonus as well with that. Um, so I was on the hunt for new leads, generating new business. And I've always been a bit of a go-getter, if I, if I can say that. Uh, before getting into advice, I was doing event management and commercial real estate of all things. Putting on music festivals. Yeah, you? yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that allows me to go out and, and meet new people and, you know, I'm pretty confident with, with getting out there. So, finding new, finding new business wasn't really something that was that difficult 
to me because I, I like to say that I am a bit of a people person. Yeah. So 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 how old were you then? Oh, 21. So you're 21. Yeah. You're an advisor. You're out there hunting down new business. Uh, plenty of confidence in what you're able to bring to the to the to the table. How were you finding people to talk to? Oh, I actually talked to my students about this all the time because when when you are so young, especially as a young female, it's really hard to get people that are older than you to take you seriously, especially um, I guess people that have accumulated a lot of wealth. Um, and they're used to perhaps dealing with, you know, the, the previous advisor, for example, who was, you know, in his late fifties. So to go from that to a, you know, twenty-something-year-old female was quite difficult to break that barrier. And can, can, yeah, I ask, can I ask you, is that barrier <laughs> more so in your head than the client's head, or is it fifty-fifty? Um, oh, it- it's fifty-fifty. Yeah, because in my mind, I was thinking, how can I give advice to you when I don't have all of my finances sorted as well. Like I don't even have a house at this point. So, so like, this is your limiting belief, right? That's my because limiting you belief. you know more about that product and those, that, that strategy than those clients That's do. exactly right. Yeah. But, but then you get the other side where you, I was getting a lot of condescension. So I was getting lots of, oh, thank you, sweetheart. Or, you know, like I just think, come on, like we'll be on that. But anyway, I just took it on the chin and just kept <laughs> kept going with that. But yeah, you're right. I, but this is what I say to my students all the time is like when you first – leave university and you get into the financial advice sector or the, the finance sector, you just, you are really overwhelmed because at that point you may not have, you know, built up the portfolio that you want to have and you second guess your advice. The advice is great, right? And at that point, my advice was really good. And if I didn't know the answer, I'd go back to somebody else in the team who had 20 or 30 years experience and I could get the answer from them. But in my mind, I had to get over that mm. barrier myself, right? Foster syndrome. Yeah. That's exactly right. And how did you, I mean, apart from, you know, getting years of experience, how did, <laughs> how did you sort of get through that? Oh, the experience did help, to be honest, but also it was me taking my own advice and actually implementing, you know, practicing what I was preaching basically is what I'm trying to say is actually building up some wealth of my own and being like, yeah, you know what, what I'm giving out to people and what I'm saying to people actually works, you know. And I'm part and parcel for that. I look back at where I was 10 years ago and as to where I am now and I just think, holy moly, I, you know, 20, 20-something-year-old 20 Whitley never would have thought she'd be in this position. And it's all to do with diligence and, yeah, being being committed to being true to myself and yep. true to the advice. Yep. So. And uh, the <laughs> condescending thing, uh, <laughs> did you have any tips for people going through that? Oh, goodness. Pick your battles. And again, I had this a lot when I was working in event management. I remember one of the site managers for one of the companies that I was working with a while ago would always call me sweetheart and always give me a bit of a pat on the bum, right? And I just remember saying to him one day, I was like, ah, this is so inappropriate. And if like, I said, if I was a man, you wouldn't be doing this. So why is it appropriate for me? Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. It's a whole other yep. rant for another time. But yep. t- for me, yeah, pick your battles because sometimes people will make off-the-cuff comments because it's a generational thing and perhaps they don't realise that it's offensive now um, in 2021. Other people might just be a little bit misogynistic and yep. that's those people exist and yep. that's okay. That's <laughs> But you don't have to take offence yeah, that. the generational thing, I, I, I mean, I'm in no position to comment, but um, the generational thing to me feels like it's almost they may think it's a term of endearment. Yeah. But it's just a little rem- reminder that that's no longer endearing. Well, that's it. That's it. And like, you know, I, I've even had 
um, you know, my, my, my husband's grandfather, you know, he'll, he'll call me sweetheart and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. He doesn't mean anything by it. It's, mm. it's just, yeah, it's a term of endearment. But if I, if I wasn't the person who I am, I probably would get offended that kind of stuff, but I, I definitely don't. Yes, yeah, certainly not <laughs> a professional context, that's no. for sure. Uh, very good. We thought we could, we could move on from that. Yeah. So, so uh, are you still in that family business now? Yes. Is that the same business? Yeah, same yep. business. Uh, yeah. And, and how does that work from a succession point of view? Are you the succession of the business? Oh, have you always look, been seen that I, way? <laughs> are you having to deal with that? Yeah, I, I was going to be the succession plan. Um, but now I've sort of pursu- I'm pursuing the career in academia as well. So the next sort of five, five or so years, it's me focusing on my research and getting that completed because as it stands, I'll be enrolling in the PhD next year after I finish my my research project, and that'll be the next sort of three three years of my life, yep. right? Doing yep. doing research. So for me, getting into I guess a leadership role in the business is not something that I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah doesn't mean that I won't consider it later yep. on, but yeah, for the moment, it's not not a priority for me. Fantastic. Uh, so, if we go back to that journey or, or your journey through, when did you start with the, the in, down the education pathway? Uh, that, again, I fell into it. <laughs> so, it was something that I wanted to do when I was older, right? So, when I had accumulated 40 years of knowledge in financial advice and then go back to as a retirement plan. And I think you've you've had Catherine Hunt on the show before, um, but she was one of my lecturers when I was doing my masters at Griffith University. And because I did the masters online when I was in Tasmania, I never actually got to meet her face to face. I didn't get to meet anyone face to face. So when I first moved up to the Gold Coast, I just sent her an email. I said, "Hey, I've I've moved up here. I actually don't know anyone. I'd love to catch up for a coffee." And yeah, after the end of our first. Well, after the end of that conversation, she said, hey, I'm going on leave um, next month. Would you like to teach one of my courses? I thought, okay, awesome. Um, so it went from, I guess, a casual sort of contract role to, to then a full-time, full-time offering um, yep. at the university. So now, now I'm continuing and it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely a big fan of Dr. Catherine Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so, so that's, that's a really interesting journey. I want to talk about the research uh, in a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about something that you started up a while ago um, in the you know in in the spirit of sort of you know creating some content around uh, helping people uh, learn something but uh, become financial literate but also in, in the context of it's it's helpful for business uh, tell us about uh, I women awesome so the I woman project was actually something that I I was a co-founder of with one of my friends um, Sky Hawkins so we started that project oh goodness it was my first year advising so I guess 20, 2013. Um, as a way of me, one, increasing financial literacy because it was a free event um, and it was all about financial capability. So giving women in particular the skills and the knowledge about how to actually make better financial decisions. We also covered off on topics like uh, economic abuse or financial abuse um, which was really, really beneficial. So we actually got um, – Which was quite new back then, I guess, yeah, that conversation. It's, yeah. it's all more prevalent now. Yeah, so we got Rosie Batty on board for one of our events as well, and she came in and um, and spoke to the, to everyone about that, which was just it was really powerful. Um, but yeah, so the project itself was actually really really useful um, for women in particular, but also from a business point of view, it actually helped us generate a lot of leads. Which yep. of course, you know, everything that, there's no such thing as a free lunch, is what people say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was actually able to convert a lot of those attendees. That obviously requested advice uh, into clients, which was really useful for me. Yeah, lovely. Now, obviously, you've got, had that event management background, so yeah. you're able to easily run an event. Tell yeah. us about uh, running. I mean, obviously, uh, we can all start doing events soon, hopefully. <laughs> 
Tell us about that idea of creating an event and then putting it on and the amount of work that goes into that. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like when you plan a wedding. For those for those people listening that I have helped plan a wedding, right? So much goes into it and once the day's there, you just think, Wow, this has gone really quickly, but it's been a great day. Um, similar sort of thing when you are planning an event. Um I was lucky enough to have, because I've got the university connections as well, um, I was lucky enough to get some universities on board to help sponsor the event. So we were getting things like free catering, free event um, venues and things like that. Um, AMP actually came on board as well for one of them too. I think that was the first one that we ran. Now they were your licensee. Oh, second one, yes. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. licensee. Um, so we were able to have, you know, a lot of things sponsored, which was excellent. Um it was actually funny. The The ones that we ran at the university had uh, better conversion rates from a business point of view than the one that we held at AMP because people were thinking, oh, maybe this is linked back to them. And I just thought that was quite interesting. It but is interesting, isn't it? The, the, the preconceived ideas around branding. Yeah. Uh, and, and even just having it at a university gives it a bit more of a… Yeah. Status or a statue. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I thought because I, I'm a big believer in education. As as you know, I'm a big believer in adult education. And for me, I specifically chose universities to, to, to be the sponsors for those events because I wanted people to actually get engaged yep. with academia because a lot of people just think we're all dinosaurs, right? <laughs> yeah. And universities, universities have great facilities. Yeah, yep. And they're often – more than like if you if you're thinking about running an event or anyone that's listening is thinking about um, organizing a financial event like this reach out to your local university because they'll be more than happy to help out and they've got the budget for it as well yep and when you say sponsorship they basically provided the venue and catering yeah yeah so I all all I had to do was um, essentially look after the accommodation for the um, for the speakers uh, as well as organize a photographer which I was also lucky enough to get um, they they basically did it for free, which is great. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. And so, uh, and of course, getting numbers. Yes, getting numbers. Getting numbers. Yep. <laughs> uh, tell us about that. Um, you know that uh, the speakers. How did you find them, source them, put them in place, and what did they talk about? Yeah. So I'm just trying to think about who we've had. Oh, we had a powerhouse. I don't know if you've heard of Kirsty Dumphy before. She's incredible. Um, she is a really well. She oh goodness. When she was 25, she built herself up a massive property portfolio. So she was a multi-million dollar um, property owner by, by 25. She was amazing. Uh, then she started her own um, um, mortgage broking company re- recently as well. So, yeah, I just think she's a powerhouse and she's yep. awesome. But, she, yeah, she was one of the speakers that we had. Um, we also had – oh, goodness, I've forgotten her name. That's terrible. And, <laughs> so on the, the speakers, did, did you speak as well? Uh, I did, but on the technical stuff. So yep. I spoke about, you know, the importance of insurance and superannuation and all yep. that kind of stuff and, and debt reduction. Um, but I wasn't the main event. So like it wasn't it wasn't the Whitley show. You it don't was... need to be the main event. You just need to be uh, somebody who's bringing it all together. That's it. Uh, and seen to be bringing it all together. When you – how long was that event? How long did it go for? It was a whole day. A whole day a whole event. Day? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think 10 till 4 we ran them. And where did you find the, the consumers? Uh, because it was a free event, we were able to get a lot of publicity on um, news and radio, um, which was great. So we actually just got a lot of people through that and they were registering. Um, so created a media release. Yeah. Sent it to the media. Yeah. And yeah. and was willing to talk about it and promote it. Yeah. Yeah. And ABC ABC Radio was really good as well. I think I had a few spots on there. Yeah, brilliant. And what size? How many people? 
Uh, I think the first event was the actually the biggest one. Uh, I think there were 250 people at that event. Second one was smaller, I think with about 180. And then the third was even smaller again because yep. I we, we tried by that point to see if we could charge people. Yeah. <laughs> so we, tra- we, we tried a small $49 fee because yep. we just thought, you know, we want to get people that are going to be investing in yep. themselves. Um, and that one there, I think we had 65 people yep. and that was at RMIT. <laughs> but probably great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great leader. Yeah. Uh, now – just on that, had you had you spoken, you know, had a public speaking address for 250 people before? <laughs> Not at that point, no. So I learned a lot about how to present myself and how not to speak really quickly when I was nervous. Um, and that came through with the feedback as well, like in the feedback surveys, was people's like, the content was great, but she needs to slow down. <laughs> and it was really funny because it was actually those events that made me realize that I did have a, a massive passion for educating people. So that's when I started, I guess, pursuing the career in academia. So, yep. yeah, yeah, you, you find something in those events where you go, I really enjoyed that. People listened to me and, the, yeah. and they got something out of what I had to say. Yeah, yeah, it was more so the fact that you know I could actually, especially for the from the leads that we did take on, is you know these people wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for this event. Yeah, and just seeing their situations from when they first came to see me to to sort of where they are now in particular, yep. it's it just brings me so much joy. And what was the success off the back of those events? Oh goodness. Um. Oh, this sounds so lame, but life change, I yep. guess. Um. Actually, giving people the opportunity to reflect on the situation and to say, you know, it's not as dire as I think it is, or. I've even had someone who didn't come on board as a client and they said to me a few years after the event, they said, I'm so thankful I came because I took out a binding financial agreement like you guys were talking about and that helped me a lot through my separation. I was like, awesome, that's great. So yeah. it's, it's helping, to, I guess, I'm not just saying for women in, in particular, but like people in general, like some people just aren't aware of things that are actually going to be really useful for them for their situation. And, you know, I'm a big advocate on binding financial agreements. I can talk to you about those another time if you like. Um, but, you know, giving people the, the tools um, and the resources to actually start thinking about, you know, how can I do things myself as yep. well as obviously seeking advice. Like that was not, that was the thing is like do it yourself and then seek advice. Yeah, it's really interesting and then that and if we do the, the, the inverted commas bunny is it either the general information, yeah. general advice type, framework, uh, running those large events where you can actually get to a lot of people and obviously with online now we can get to masses yeah. of, 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 of consumers or humans that are not necessarily looking to get financial advice now but could really do with some information. Yeah, definitely. And and probably so much information that where they understand what it is and rather than going maybe and trying to research and yeah. read the read through um, you know marketing material yeah. uh, to get some, some straight shooting information about what they can do and how they can do it. Put, put those sort of things in place. Uh, take us back to your university scenario. We, well, I mentioned we come back to this, uh, some of the research you're doing. What led you down the, the, this path? Well, first of all, let's talk about what it is. You can explain <laughs> yeah. it and then I want to know what, what led you down that path. Yeah, so my, my research at the moment is still in its infancy. So I'm looking um, – I'm doing an honours project as a pathway to my PhD, which, like I said, should be completed – well, honours will be completed next year, early next year. Um, but I'm looking at how your mindset influences your financial well-being. And for me, mindset's always been something that I have liked to investigate a little bit more because I just find people really fascinating. And I guess the reason I chose that topic is because 
when I was dealing with a lot of clients, some people had really, really negative outlooks on the way in which they viewed their situation or just their life in general. And sometimes there was connections between that and their, I guess, their net wealth and other times there weren't. So I, I, I give you some examples. So I had this one um, one gentleman who came into the office and he was in his late 40s and he actually had a lot of money, like a substantial amount of wealth, but it was all just invested in term deposits. And he just said to me, oh, I, I'm just really bad with managing money. I'm thinking, no, you're not. You've got like $500,000 sitting in cash in your bank account. Like you're not bad with your money. So why are you thinking that you're bad with your money? And then they've got the other side of things, right, where you think people think that they're awesome at managing their money and they've got like $70,000 of unsecured debt. And I just think it's overconfidence, right, in that instance, yeah. overconfidence. But, you know, looking at the two discrepancies with that and just trying to think, why do people think like that? Yep. Yep. And, yeah, figuring out if there is a link between that and obviously optimism, right, and seeing how that plays into effect. But yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, yeah there's some, so there's, many factors. There are so many factors. <laughs> and when I think about mindset, it blows my mind. Just oh, that's, That wasn't a joke. Um, uh, but <laughs> the sheer different, the different areas. I like to talk about the idea of, you know, your emotional – the, the ball of emotions that we are as as, as humans um, versus the logical thinking part yeah. of our brain is one part. But let's go back to, to some of the other areas that you're looking at. You're looking at optimism versus pessimism. Type. Yeah. Uh, what sort of a personality trait are you? Yeah. Um, which leads into then mindset and thinking. Uh, what are the other areas? Yeah, so th- I guess the main – I'm piggybacking off um, Professor um, Carol Dweck – um, so she did a lot of research back in the day into fixed and growth mindsets, but back when she first started, it was actually looking at uh, fixed, so not fixed, sorry, uh, incremental or um, fixed ways in which they viewed the world or viewed intelligence. So, you know, people with a fixed mindset, for example, see that failures are reflective of you as a person and, you know, so I'm bad with money, therefore I'm a bad person or, or yep. I failed at something, therefore I'm, I'm not very smart. Um, whereas people with a growth mindset, for example, see those failures as opportunities to learn and to make improvements to better themselves and better, better the outcome. Yeah. So emotional flexibility. Yeah. You know, behavioral flexibility, all those sort of things to be able to say, well, to reflect back on what you've done and yeah. say that was actually a positive learning rather than a, a, a negative That's beat yourself exactly. up. Yeah. It, now, when it comes to money, a lot of people are in that you know money is evil type yeah. thing. How can the mindset of past generations affect? Oh, I love that question. Oh goodness, it definitely definitely it plays a it plays a um a huge factor actually, especially and we all saw this with the GFC right as well when people say, oh, I'm not going to invest heavily into shares because my parents lost a lot of money in the GFC. Um, you've got to, and this is why I think, and oh, actually, oh, I'm going to talk about my what I want to happen with my with my research, but Go um on. one <laughs> one of the main reasons I'm looking into this is because I think this is a huge area that's lacking in financial planning, and I think that I would I would love to see questions about mindset and the way in which clients actually view themselves and the surroundings integrated into the fact finding and advice process as yep. well, because I think that it'll help the clients actually have a bit of agency, right? So it'll 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 motivate them and encourage them to actually get more invested in in the actual financial planning process as opposed to perhaps the older style of giving advice, which was I'm your advisor. Um, you don't have to necessarily understand what I'm doing, but I'm going to do what's in your best interest. I shouldn't say it like that, but do you know what I mean? Like the old school the old school advice, definitely not the advice yeah. that's being given now in 2021. But I feel like the, the <laughs> failure of a financial plan is the inability then of the, the 
person, the consumer, to take on the behaviours required. Yeah. So behavioural, you know, the idea of the fact find being, you know, yes, you can get their data around what they spent and their their, their habits of spending and uh, spending more than they earn or or earning more than they spend or whatever that might be. But the idea around those past behavioural issues that have caused um, them to be in the situation now and to be able to solve that from down the track. Well, uh, behavioural economics is fascinating. I think it's fascinating. Um, And, you know, um, Richard Thaler, I don't know if you've read any of his stuff. He's got a really good book called Nudge. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend reading it. I haven't heard of Nudge, yeah. Um, But he basically says that you can encourage people to do things, right, by giving them a little nudge. Um, And I'm not going to go into that into too much detail, but that's what I'd like to see in financial advice, right, is like prodding people in the right direction and making making them think it's that, that it's their idea. Yeah, I'd love to also have that sort of <laughs> nudge around the guard, uh, some guide rails or guard rails around the, you know, their 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 spending or their habits. That's, you know, yeah. You know, it'd be great to have a little text message to say, "Hey, um, <laughs> remember that thing you wanted? It's, uh, you just um, turned it off track. Yeah, um, do you want to turn it back? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's a that's a nice thing. What about uh, so a lot of that's around spending, but what about other behaviours and habits and mindsets? How do you nudge in that? I think, oh goodness, I haven't, I haven't thought about that too much yet because I'm still, like I said, it's still in my infancy. But I think when it comes to other areas, it's actually encouraging people to think that financial freedom. God, that's such an overused term, but financial freedom is possible. But obviously, that's going to be different from person to person. And what I like, I don't know if you've heard of D- Dave Ramsey. He's like this really, yeah, he's this American finance guy. Yep. Bit of hype, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also straight shooting. Yeah. Oh, what I like about him is that. You know, in his first, I think in one of his books, he says at the very beginning, you know, your current financial situation is actually on you. Where you are currently is based on the the, the decisions that you've made in the past. Yep. Let's just accept where we are now and let's go forward. Take ownership. Yep. And I just think that's awesome because we do need to take ownership over our uh, own situation, um, whether that's, you know, personal stuff, financial things, whatever. And um, I guess it's sort of following on from that, you know, living above the line concept of, you know, life happens through me, not to me. So yeah. not taking on that victim mentality um, and yep. going, yeah, progressing, progressing yeah, through. Yeah, so regret, uh, regret's a great one um, for that. But the victim <laughs> mentality you mentioned is really interesting because that means that uh, you have to basically say that, um, you know, I can't blame anybody else for yeah. anything. I can't be angry with anybody. Uh, I can't be jealous of anybody. Yeah. Otherwise, the, I can't do that without being the victim. Yeah. So if I don't want to be the victim, I have to then change that concept and just basically forgive and be happy for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Easier said than done. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But I love it. It's great. And I, like I said, I'm really excited about how this research is going to influence, um, you know, the financial planning process. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, um, and just on that, uh, I, I want to touch on uh, towards and away from styles of motivation. Yeah. How do you see that overlaying? Oh, how to motivate? Like how to actually motivate yeah. people? Yep. Oh, I guess it for me it does depend on the, such a financial advisor thing to say. It depends on the circumstance and the client, right? It depends it on depends. the. <laughs> What's the answer? The answer is always it depends. Yeah. Yeah. So figuring out how to best educate somebody, um, because you know the carrot and stick method might work with somebody, but it might not work with the, with the next person that comes through the door. So it's figuring out, you know, one, how do they learn in the first place? But again, I think the mindset's going to make a huge difference on that because if you've got somebody that is quite optimistic, 
And you, again, you can have somebody that actually is quite optimistic that has a fixed mindset, right? Because they may have tried and tried and tried, but they've failed and failed and failed. And they've gotten to that point where they just think, oh, I've just given up. I just, I suck. Yeah. And it's not the case at all. Yeah. Whereas, you know, for, so for somebody like that, you know, creating new opportunities to actually change their mindset and in- intercept them on that, I think will make a huge difference. Yeah. So this is where I see um, the advisors of the future having a really high emotional intelligence when it yeah. comes to the psychology um, and being able to understand and listen to the words that are being said from the client and to be able to then stop and instead of just um, jumping to the answer, yeah, stopping and listening to the words and saying, uh, you said that thing, uh, yeah. what if you said this thing and said or changed it around? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a fair bit uh, there's a fair bit we can add to the uh, FASIA training. There level. is, yeah, there <laughs> is, there is. But I feel like we're you know we're just starting out on that journey. So let's maybe continue yeah. as it is for now, and then yeah. add to it later. Yeah, yeah. Ease, ease off, ease off. Uh, f- fantastic. So, um, is there anything else around that research you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered yet? I think for me, like I'm looking at 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 the moment for the honours, I'm drawing comparisons between you know an Australian sample and a US sample, and I think that's going to be quite powerful. Um, The the actual PhD though is going to go into a little bit more detail um, and include other areas like mental health as well, and see how that makes a difference Um, and physical health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just thinking that, and when I when you said that, I was trying on the spectrum of mental health and physical health, and then going, well, it's it's funny because mental health can can vary on that spectrum from high to low at any moment of the day. That's and it. so so that would then create a timing issue for advice as well. Yeah. So I I oh goodness. That's that's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a really exciting journey, I think, when I get to that point. But the reason I want to look at that is because there is this thing called the mind body connection, right? And we see this a lot in sports science and in health where, you know, people can essentially with a, you know, we all know what stress does to the body as well, right? So if you're really, really stressed, it's obviously going to have negative impacts on your physical health. Is it cortisol? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it affects the cortisol. Um, but also there have been studies where people have basically either thought that they were cursed, for example. There's one study where this woman thought she was she was cursed um, and she was completely healthy, but her body absolutely deteriorated. Um, other research has been done where I remember this one person had a stomach ulcer that was bleeding um again given a placebo pill well um, you know little some treatment you know obviously not not actual treatment placebo treatment and yeah the, it stopped bleeding she got she healed you know things like that tumors tumors reducing based on yep. psychology and i just think wow if that can happen in the body based on how you think yep what kind of an impact is that going to have on your money if yep. you think differently? And it's not just a case of obviously just just thinking. It's there are other factors involved as well about you know financial capabilities and actually empowering yourself. But I think it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. So financial security is 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 you know love to see the numbers, but that turns it into financial happiness. Yeah. Uh, that turns your your mind into a, into a happy place. I'm happy about how much I'm earning. I'm happy about my future. Uh, my security, therefore, I'm going to be healthy and live longer. Yeah. Um, what the, is there any stats around that? People that live longer because they're financially secure. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, but I'll definitely be looking There's into that. Be yeah, some I reckon somewhere. there. I reckon there is. But oh, it's quite interesting that you that you talked about you know longevity and things like that and, and happiness because, and this is again this I haven't I'm not quoting research on this. This is just my experience. But you know, going to going to other countries where people are actually a lot poorer, they've got a greater sense of community in general. Like generally, their happiness and well being is a lot higher than people perhaps in Australia that are earning a lot more and don't have that sense of community. And they're 
Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's been some, I, I don't know, I can't quote them, but I, I remember talking to somebody about this around the idea of happiness and just saying people that don't have a lot of choices as well yeah. or a lot of media, a lot of uh, TV sets, a lot of news feeds yeah. are actually quite happy. Yeah. can be. Uh, very good. Now, tell me about this research and since you started it, how has that affected the, or changed the conversations that you're having with your clients? Oh, it has a lot. <laughs> and it's actually made me a lot more picky with who I actually take on as clients. Oh, interesting. Um, because I've sort of gotten to the stage in my career now where I actually don't want to work with someone unless they're actually invested in themselves. So, it's not just a case of, you know, they like me as an advisor. It's, you know, do I think that you've got the capacity to actually change your situation? Are you invested in that process? So, <laughs> so what do you say to them? How do you go through that process? Like, what, what's the criteria oh, it's, it's that a you polite, It's a polite vetting conversation. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. not, I don't cut them off. I, you know, I, there's been a few people where I've said, look, maybe you're better suited to another advisor in the practice or another advisor at yeah. another practice. But you just ask a lot of questions and then you know internally through your own values what that's it that means yeah yeah okay yeah, it's good it's good to be in that position isn't it where you don't <laughs> have to take on the work yeah yeah and uh, and how does that work with your employer and boss and those sorts of things oh you Is know that, it's fine yeah. it's fine because i i'm basically at capacity at the moment now yeah. anyway so i i've been at the point probably for the last 18 months where i'm not taking on any new clients unless they're coming through the lending side of the business yeah um, because, you know, with, with my role at the university, that's my full-time role and I'm doing advising and, you know, brokering part-time. Yep. So, I'm pretty busy <laughs> as it stands. I'm pretty busy as it is. But, um, yeah, so, you know, in order for me to actually service the clients that I've got and do a good job, it's just, yeah, I, I've met my limit for, for advice clients yeah. at this so point. So, for you, it's, it's about less clients but a much deeper relationship with that's those clients it. looking after everything. That's it. Yeah. Yep. And tell us about the uh, the the un- university stuff in the future. You want to do your PhD? Yes. Yeah. And then continue to, to do both? Or? Oh yeah, continue to do both. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Like, I mean, I think I mentioned earlier on, like it was, you know, depends on what what's happening with my my family's business, right? And as to whether or not they would like me to to buy them out at that point. Yep. I don't know is the answer. I'm yeah. not going to get into yeah. uh, licensing. Yeah. Depends is the answer. <laughs> depends. Yes, depends is the answer. Yep. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's really important for me to do both roles because I'm actually, well, since I've been working at Griffith, I've actually become a better advisor. Um, I'm more up to date with all of the requirements of the legislation, how to actually implement things, which has been useful for our practice because I've been able to look at the processes that we have and say, Hey, why don't we look at doing it this way? Yep. But it's also meant that I'm a better teacher as well or a better lecturer because my students are able to learn from somebody who's actually a practitioner. And for me, when I was doing my studies, particularly in my undergraduate degree, I just remember getting really frustrated thinking, you've never worked in the industry. How the hell can you teach me anything? <laughs> and I shouldn't say it like that, but that was that was my thoughts. Yep. And, you know, quite re- – That was your mindset. Yeah. <laughs> just recently, I, I just finished teaching a six-week course of, of postgraduate students and one of them said to me, um, you know, Whitley, I've been advising for 30 years and when I first came into this course, I thought to myself, why the hell do I have to do this? Because it was, it was called case studies and financial planning, right? So all the advisors who are coming in are thinking – you know, I do this every day. But the difference was at the end of that six-week course, every single one of the advisors said, thank you, I learned so much. Yep. And it wasn't a case of just learning from me. It was about learning from each other. And I guess that's one of the – not not to push university, but that's one of the biggest things about higher education is actually does get you to start thinking about the world differently. Um, and I have a big focus on collaboration as well because yep. – 
you know, when you've got – even if it's a small class of 10 people, for example, if they're all existing advisors, you've got so much experience in there and, you know, they'll have more experience than me. Yeah. So it's really important that they learn from each other as well as from me because I don't know everything. Yeah, I think it's just about uh, introducing those AQF levels of, of uh, how deep – you want to go into the conversation and how, you know, like a, the, we can all see examples. That's probably yeah. the easy part, but it's yeah. how do you then uh, think critically and look at other points of view and trying to take your own point of view and say, that was my point of view, but what if it wasn't? Yeah. You know, like those sorts of critical thinking type things. Uh, amazing. T- t- talk to me about, you're obviously seeing a lot of people coming through um, the, the university. We're talking about professional year type people, but also people that are bringing their education levels up. Uh, how do you see this, you know, with regards to, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't going to become an advisor straight away and then there's some that already are. Yeah. What do you what do you see with the future of all these new people coming through um, that aren't yet advising? It's all right. I am actually really optimistic about, you know, where financial advice is going to be in the next 10 years. Um, the calibre of students that I'm getting through for financial advice, they're, they, they're, they're excellent, particularly the post-grad students that are coming through, right? And I, I know a lot of them are existing advisors, right? But they, they, they are wanting to learn and to upskill, which I think is really, really beneficial. Uh, the postgraduates, so the postgraduates, the undergraduates, I feel uh, they're great. I just feel like they don't know what they're in for yet with respect to the amount of compliance and paperwork that comes along with financial advice. And I, I try and, you know, at the end of my course, because I, I teach the uh, the capstone undergraduate course, I try and um, make it a bit more realistic. I say, look, you're, you're in a position where you are actually going to help people and you're going to make a huge difference in their lives. But just bear in mind that that does come with a lot of compliance and a lot of regulation, a lot of paperwork. So you just, just brace yourself for that. And the first few years of your career, you're going to have to slog it a little bit. I do talk about work-life balance as well, about, you know, don't let your employers flog you to the point that you can't get up on the, you know, on a Monday. <laughs> yeah, you lose your motivation to turn up, yeah. Yeah, so, and that's a really, it's really interesting So I've had a few students that have graduated and have secured roles um, and they're doing their professional year and, you know, one of them, he's a, I think he's 26 and he, he just works all the time, like 12-hour days, you know, he work on the weekends and he's exhausted. And I just think – but he's doing that because he wants to put in all the effort for his employer so he'd move up the ranks. But I'm just like, it's not it's not worth it. It's not sustainable. It's not, and it's not sustainable. Like I put my foot down probably oh, maybe three years ago and I just said, I'm no longer going to work on the weekends yep. because – you can be just as productive if you use your time wisely, you know, Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday or whatever it is. Um, I find I'm more productive now in the time that I spend in the office than I was when I was working on the weekends. Yep. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, now, a few years ago, we were all worried about the, the robo uh, yeah. um, advice coming in and taking on the roles. Do you think that the education standards lifting, the work we're doing, you're doing in mindset and, and psychology – adds so much more complexity to the advisor role compared to uh, an algorithm? Yeah. Look, uh, I think th- there, there is a place for robo-advice, in my opinion, for very simple things, right? Very, very, very simple things. You're never going to replace face-to-face advice or at least, you know, person-to-person advice. Um, but, yeah, there are so many different layers of complexity with giving advice, uh, both both now and where I see financial advice in the future. And I, I think um, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a big believer in not necessarily coaching per se, but I feel like the coaching element should actually be integrated in the financial ad- advice process or at least the, the way in which advisors in Australia give advice. Yep. 
Um, risk profiling is obviously yeah. a, a passion of yours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, talk to me about how what you think that should be evolved to and, and, and obviously <laughs> how quickly it should have been evolved to. Oh, goodness. Well, I think it's – at the moment – I'm sort of limited to what my licensee requires, so I'm not going to go into too much detail yeah, yeah. for that. I mean, but, but it's funny about I, all the licensee standards created and it's like, oh, it's about know your client. And, and then what yeah. you see from your academic studies is that this is a whole It's a lot more world. complicated than yeah. a 12 answer sh- short survey. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know how else to word that <laughs> eloquently. Yes, I'm hoping technology can, uh, can play a big part in that and allow yeah. uh, advisors to be able to really – profile and model and understand if they can't instantly spot it what that might mean for consumers and how they how they can help them yeah wonderful (laughs) what does the future hold for you at the moment oh goodness i'm taking one day at a time at the moment to be honest so finishing my research project is number one priority for the next sort of six to 12 months um then enrolling in the phd how long does a phd Um, take well in theory i want to get it done in two and a half years if i can because the honors is forming part of yes the phd um but let's say in the next three years, I will be finished with my studies for now. <laughs> yep. So we talked about iWoman Project a while um, earlier on. And, you know, for me, the future holds another program similar to that. Um, I've actually had the business name registered for about five years now and I haven't done anything with it. But it's actually, it's called Mind Body Wallet. Okay. Um, and it's basically going to be an online um, education platform to encourage people to, I guess, up, upskill in their financial knowledge and capabilities. So, yeah, uh, financial education, but also, again, linking back in the mindset things with that as, as well. So, helping them shift from you know fixed mindset to a growth mindset as well as building up their their practical skills but the the overall objective for that is to actually get people to seek advice at the end of it yep so it's not just hey this is going to be a you know a 12 week program that's going to replace the need for advice it's actually going to be like hey in these 12 weeks you're going to learn so much about your situation you're going to see vast improvement from day 1 to the end of week 12 and at the end of week 12 when you figured out you know all of your cash flow and budgeting things like that and you've built up a cash buffer Go and seek advice from a qualified professional who's actually going to help you invest that and make that ten thousand dollars or whatever it is a lot more. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And uh, this is for the um, if I think of the bell curve, the you know the people in the middle of the bell curve and and, and heading towards that advice end and, and trying to push more than just the ten percent into That's advice, it. which yeah, uh, which uh, yeah, the stats show can happens in every industry. There's ten percent of uh, of any industry ends up with uh, prestige end and. Well, and that's it. And that's sort of like my practice in Tasmania. We actually deal with, um, I, I say, quote unquote, um, you know, mums and mums and dads, right? We deal with um, the mums and dads, obviously, and being in regional Tasmania, um, that that's our target market. Yep. Um, but I love those types of clients because it, I can really like from from when they first see me to where they are sort of now. Like they've had huge improvements. I've had so many people pay off their home loans, which has been such a Oh, it's, it's such an exciting thing to yep. help somebody become debt-free, yep. especially I think my I, – I shouldn't say she's my biggest success story, but I have quite a few young people who came to me fresh out of university. So, they had um, decided their new – you know, the first role, they wanted to open up a superannuation account. And, you know, these people are now – one of them from, from 20 to 25, we paid off her home loan, right, which is awesome. Um, she's now 27 and I'm helping her buy another investment property and it's only got an LVR of 50%, right? That's – anyway, I'm not going to – I am I just get so happy when I see young people making really good decisions 
And yeah, there's quite a few of, the, especially the young ones, where they are. If they, if you get onto it early and you help shape their behaviour from the beginning when they start managing the money, these people, their trajectory is going to be more than they'd ever imagined. Yep. And um, the, and yeah. The, and the real key to this is advice affordability, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Any any ideas on how we do that? <laughs> I don't know if anyone from ASIC is listening. No, but we should we should totally reduce some of the red tape. Not all of it, because it's there for a reason and it's really really important. But it it pains me how much work goes into a single statement of advice. And I, you know, if you're dealing with somebody in their early twenties, right, and you've got to charge them five or six thousand dollars, it's just so unaffordable. And I don't know. It, when it's taking them all that time to save the first 10000 and they want <laughs> yeah. to invest it and you say, great, there's $5,500 in the SOA. That's it. So I think, yeah, looking at affordable advice, it's – oh, goodness. It's something that I know one of my colleagues is looking into um, from a research point of view. But, yeah, there's so much work that needs to be done in that space. But when you've got so much compliance that comes along with it, it's it's really hard because – you want to help these people, but you're also not a charity and you need to have a profitable business in order to keep the doors open. Yep. So there's a fine line and yeah, I don't have a solution. I would love to have a solution yep. because I'd yep. be sure sharing it with everybody. The answer is as it yeah. depends. <laughs> Whitley, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. If somebody wanted to continue the conversation, what's the best way they can get hold of you? Uh, Google me. <laughs> no, but honestly, uh, just have a look. I'd say on the Griffith website um, or just shooting me through an email. Um, yep. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me.